The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. So you're back from your whirlwind trip. Actually, you're not. You're in Winnipeg, aren't you? I am. I am in Winnipeg for something called the Breakout West Conference, and I have to do a thing later today about streaming music services. So, And then tomorrow morning, I have to fly to L.A. to participate in some sort of high-level executive entertainment executive conference called The Wrap at the uh, Lermitage Hotel. I'll, t- I'll tell you a story, okay? So I, I, I'm supposed to go there and I'm part of a presentation, and I need a hotel. So I thought, well, why don't I stay at the same hotel as the conference? That'll just, you know, eliminate a whole bunch of stuff. Well, that's $7,000 a night. What? Uh, so, so uh, no, I'm, I'm not staying at uh, La Hermitage. I, I did find a room at uh, the Sunset Marquee, which is uh, the hotel where rock stars go to overdose. Great. $563 a night. Well, no wonder they go there to overdose. It's so cheap. I mean, what, 7000 a night? 563 a night. And we'll get to the Cape Bush thing in just a second. Oh, you're going to rub it in, aren't you? Okay, last Monday, I flew to L.A. I interviewed the Foo Fighters on Tuesday afternoon. I went directly from 606 Studios to LAX, where I flew directly to London. I checked into my hotel and then went to the Apollo Hammersmith or Hammersmith Apollo Theater, uh, saw Cape Bush that night, flew back on Thursday to Toronto, did a day's work in Toronto on Friday. Friday night, flew to Winnipeg, in Winnipeg for Saturday and Sunday. Monday, flying to L.A., and I'll be back home eventually Thursday. Hang on, back up. Did you or did you not get me a Kate Bush t-shirt as promised? I did. Woohoo! From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Kate Bush gives her last encore for another 35 years, maybe. We'll look at how the songstress is changing the way industry giants tour. The Saturday morning cartoon is dead. And an internet cartoon sensation returns from the dead. Bose tackles Dr. Dre on the gridiron. How the headphone manufacturer is keeping Beats headphones off the field. Looking for a new car? Apple's CarPlay is coming, so get used to buying a new vehicle every year to match your iPhone. Plus, another reason to avoid browsing for Justin Bieber websites. Not that you really need another one, but there you go. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. A guy named Mark, who used to live in Toronto, is now living in Charlottetown. He works for Air Canada, and he's also a major, major Kate Bush fan. I get an email out of the blue saying, look, I entered the lottery, and I ended up winning two tickets, the privilege to purchase two tickets for the final show on October the 1st. Now, here's the catch. There's obviously the issue of getting to London, but the bigger catch is the price of this ticket. It is 414 pounds. And you being the business guy know that the Canadian dollar has taken a big dump against the any other world currencies. So this worked out to somewhere in the neighborhood of $750 for a concert ticket. Got it? Yep. Now, you did get a very good seat. I think we were in maybe the 10th or 11th row. Very, no, no, you got a very good seat. Well, me and Mark got a very good seat. And But beforehand, you were invited to a pre-show picnic lunch at the church across the street. Again, you were invited to a pre-show picnic lunch across the street. Excuse me. (laughs) 
they, they had cleared out all the pews and they put up some barriers between the uh, the church area, the parishioner area, and the altar. And they had these long benches. And at these benches were these picnic baskets filled with some of the weirdest gourmet food that you've ever seen. There was one little dish that had vegetables. There was celery and carrots and something else in, quote, edible dirt. <laughs> well, I guess all dirt is edible when you think about it. Well, I guess, yeah. Uh, and then there was, uh, we had some spatchcock. Gazentite. Which is apparently a type of little chicken. Uh, some cheese, some salmon mousse. Oh, not the salmon mousse. Now look here. You barge in here quite uninvited, break glasses, and then announce quite casually that we're all dead. Well, I would remind you that you're a guest in this house. Oh, oh, quiet. Oh, there was salmon mousse. There was something with honey and granola. And it was all very, and a big bo- you know, bottle of wine. So we sat at these tables and we talked to each other, uh, you know, I talked to the people at the tables about where they had come from and what they were expecting tonight. And then before we left, there was actually a dedicated merch table in the church, which allowed the people, the VIP people, to purchase their swag before actually heading into the theater where the swag tables were completely um, swamped. So there I got you your t-shirt wow it was 15 15 pounds yeah 15 pounds that's what about three four thousand dollars canadian and by the time my credit card comes through it'll be yeah man oh man <laughs> yeah do you want the pink one i'm sorry do you want the purple one or the black one oh the purple one or the black one you know what i think i want the purple one okay i'll i'll uh, i'll revisit them and if the purple one isn't masculine enough mm-hmm. uh i'll give you the black one because the other one uh i bought a t-shirt for a for a woman so oh what are you implying? Nothing. I'm not implying anything. I'm saying I want you to have the masculine one. Gotcha. And if the purple one doesn't you know, work, well, you'll get the other one. You know I'm a little guy, too, right? I know you're a little guy. Just sort of, probably could have got the children's size. I probably, it's okay. I'm, you're covered. You're covered. So after, after we did this, we walked across the street, went to the show, and we sat. I sat at my seat. Very good. Took some pictures of the theater before the performance started. Down the row from us, the best seat in the house, front row center in front of the aisle, was Pink Floyd guitarist David Gilmore. He was the guy who discovered Kate Bush in 1974 when she was like 14 years old. So he was there for the last show. Sitting in front of him was Del Palmer, uh, a longtime associate of Kate Bush. Her brother was there as well. Uh, And then if you went further down the row, there was Stephen Merchant, Ricky Gervais's dude. Oh, really? Yeah, so it was it was kind of cool, and I'm sure there were a lot of other celebrities in the audience, um, but but I didn't recognize them. I mean, I mean, you know, Stephen Merchant, he's easy to pick out. It looks like a big rooster. the The show itself was very very theatrical. Uh, there was two acts with a 20 minute intermission, and then there was an encore. During that entire time, she played three of her hits. There was "Hounds of Love," "Running Up That Hill," and the encore, which was cloud busting. As she sang Cloud Busting, she said, this is the last song we're going to sing for a while. I don't, so read into that what you will. Uh, these shows, these 22 shows, were the first gigs she had done in 35 years. So if we want to extrapolate, we will see the next shows uh, some, what, in 2059-ish? 
Is Kate Bush going to be around in 2059? She's already 56. Yeah, she'll be 91. So uh, we'll see. I, I, I don't know. But, you know, there was an awful lot of money made from this. 80,000 tickets were sold in 15 minutes. There's going to, they sold a tremendous amount of swag. There is going to be a DVD. You know there's going to be some sort of, of, uh, of, of, of television deal. Um, and, and so there's, there's much more money to be made after the shows are over. Uh, and the overhead was really, really low because they just set up in a theater for, uh, you know, a month. And so there was no travel costs. There was no transportation costs or anything like that. So uh, when all the money gets tallied up, they're going to go to Kate and say, listen, you made an awful lot of money here. And we've, we've done something rather interesting. Rather than putting you on the road and taking you from venue to venue, from city to city, we just set you up in one place and invited the world to come see you here. And I'm wondering if this is going to be the new model for, let's call them legacy acts. So big acts like the Rolling Stones, let's say if Led Zeppelin ever got back together, let's say a Pink Floyd show, rather than take all this stuff on the road, why not just set up in one single location and have the planet be a, a path to your door? That might be an interesting twist, particularly for the acts that can't get on the road themselves because of their advanced age. Yeah. The last time I saw uh, in concert Rod Stewart, the man was so aged that he sat on a stool the entire time, still swiveled back and forth, but did so on a stool. Didn't get up once. Well, see, that's, that's the thing. So when she's 91 years old, maybe she'll do the same thing. I should point out, too, that her voice is 56 sounded fantastic. Did it. Well, of course it did. You know, she stayed away from some of the, the you know, the you couldn't see her necessarily doing songs like Wuthering Heights or, or Man with a Child in Her Eyes because I don't think that at 56 that she would have the range an 18 or 20-year-old would have. Mm -hmm. but, but still, she sounded great. Did you know that she was awarded the Order of the British Empire? Yes. She's a dame of the Grand Cross. Yeah, no, no, she's revered. She can do anything she wants. In other words, have the world come to her instead of the other way around. There were people in the audience from every corner of the globe. It was it was incredible. People, you know, there was a, a sign out front. Somebody had come from South Africa. Please, I need a ticket. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me, because I think the last time she played at the Hammersmith or the Apollo Theater, it was, what, 35 years ago, 1979. She was just 20 at the time. And so you knew this was going to be a really big deal, not just from the historical perspective of it, but just because Kate Bush is Kate Bush. Uh, so there were apparently, what, 17 costume changes, six dancers dressed as violins. It was a song set list that had uh, 24 tracks, as you mentioned there. What was interesting, too, about just the history of it was, as you point out on GeeksAndBeats.com, the last time she played live at that venue, Ronald Reagan wasn't president yet he was still a washed up actor the sony walkman hadn't gone on sale as of that point um, but what was more interesting of all of that was you had warned that if you pulled out your cell phone and try to take some pictures during the concert or shoot some videos you'd get ejected it was described as kind of draconian but apparently that's exactly what they did yeah own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today.
You're listening to Geeks and Beats on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Bell Media Radio Network. Wow, talk about bringing us back to the year 2000. Was it that long ago that Homestar Runner was it was a big thing? Homestar Runner was huge back before anybody knew the internet was going to be a big thing. Yeah, I, I guess it predated YouTube um, because it was what, what, what's was that? Uh, that was Flash cartoons, right? The neat thing about Flash back before we had high speed internet is that unlike video, it. It streamed the data points of the animation, not the actual frame by frame. So you would say, I want a circle here. I want it filled in in red. I want a square there. I want it filled in in green. And then the Flash would build it, which is one of the big reasons why Steve Jobs said he didn't want Flash on his iOS devices because they were huge not bandwidth hogs, they were huge CPU hogs. Very intensive uh, work was required by the computer to generate this, but the advantage was is that if you didn't have a high-speed internet connection, and back in 98, 99, 2000, nobody had a high-speed internet connection, such things as Homestar Runner and Strong Bad were able to pump out long-duration cartoons without saturating your bandwidth. Yeah, I, I was a huge fan of, of, of uh, Strong Bad. Now, if you don't know who Strong Bad is, he's a, a Mexican wrestler, wears a uh, wears gloves and a Mexican wrestler mask, and uh, one of his best things is giving advice. So people would uh, send in a, a question, you know, Dear Abby style to Strong Bad, and he would uh, answer them. Ding dong, string, strong, bing bong. I'm in this death metal band at my school, and I am in need of some of your expert lyrical advice. What words sound really cool when you scream them at the top of your lungs? Dane Corvallis, Oregon. Now let's see. First, you better be ugly, Dane. Or fat. The gift of death metal does not smile on the good looking. If there's any doubt, go ahead and hot glue some cornflakes to your face. That'll do the trick. Now, I'm no geographist, but I don't think Oregon is anywhere near Scandinavia, which seems to be the only place left where death metal will get you any chicks. <laughs> the first long, strong, bad cartoon in I think four years finally came out and it's a strong bad rap so if you were ever a fan of that old uh, internet flash animation especially Homestar Runner uh, you, you gotta check it out it's it's real retro real old school it's fun co-creator Matt Chapman has announced that the site will start receiving semi-regular updates after getting a positive reception to April Fool's and I guess this is the first one rapping about fisheye lenses <laughs> I bought a fisheye lens and make a rap video with a couple of friends. It goes wah wah. All the ladies and men, they know everything is better with a fisheye lens. Hey, that chorus wasn't kidding. Check out how cool my rap points look. With a fisheye lens, you don't need to know how to rap or skateboard or do anything well. Just put the camera on the ground and aim it up. My kicks look huge and my crew looks tough. We got Bulba's hands. And Bulba's feet. I turn your back through the camera. Shake those Bulba's cheeks. Oh, look at that. You remember this. If you ever cut and pasted a URL into an email and said, uh, sent it off to somebody else in the office and said, you have to watch this back in 2000 or 2001, you will really appreciate it. On that topic, though, this was the first past weekend without Saturday morning cartoons. Dooby dooby doo, where are you? We got some work to do now. Scooby dooby doo, where are you? We need some help from you now. 
I read that. It caught me by surprise. I didn't know that there was no more animation on Sunday, Saturday mornings. We're in the 21st century now. It's all Netflix. It's all video streaming. It's all YouTube-based content. By 2003, cartoons were bringing in just 2 million viewers. 20 years earlier, it was about 10 times that at 20 million viewers. Oh, sure. I would get up at, at 6 o'clock on, on Saturday morning, pad into the uh, kitchen, get myself a, a big box of chocolate frosted sugar bombs. Something like that, and then sit in front of the TV. What did you used to watch? Let's compare. What, okay. what cartoons did you used to watch? Um, well, you are about 10 years older than me, so it's going to be a little bit different. But for me, it was the Smurfs. Okay. That was the big one. I grew up in this house where I am right now, just outside of Winnipeg. And when I was growing up, we had three TV channels. The best cartoons came on a station called KCND, which was a repeater station, a border repeater station in Pembina, North Dakota. And they were an independent station, but they, they picked up a lot of ABC programming. Um, and they wouldn't always come in because the station was weak and we didn't have a very good aerial. So what do you want to watch, cheese or snow? Well, that's it. So uh, there was a lot of stuff like uh, Rocket Robin Hood. Oh, yeah, I remember Rocket Robin Hood. Terrible. Uh, the the Spider Man, the original Spider Man. Yep. Uh, there was. What about Scooby Doo? I never got Scooby Doo. So you don't get any of the the Shaggy Stoner references or Velma versus Daphne and all of that because Scooby Doo was not available for the longest time. Uh, and by the time it was, uh, I, I had aged out of Saturday morning cartoons. There was also what was it, Captain Bleep? Oh, look that up. Just Captain Bleep. Just, again, just better, better yet, look up Commander Tom, because in Toronto, we would watch it based out of Buffalo, and uh, the Buffalo TV station would have um, a guy who would do interstitials between the cartoons, and it was Commander Tom. Okay. He was the weatherman on the station. And he just knew that it, when he came into work in the morning, the first thing he did was his little Commander Tom routine, took off the Commander Tom spacesuit, and uh, put on his regular suit to do the weather. <laughs> All right, let's let, let big litmus test for your personality. I was going to give you the Daphne versus Velma question, but since you never watched that, Betty or Veronica or Betty and... Oh, damn. Who who was the, the other in the Flintstones? Uh, it was Betty and Wilma. Who who were you a big fan of? Back then, it was Betty, because I, I didn't understand the appeal of redheads. <laughs> now, I might think about uh, Wilma. And with the Betty versus Veronica, I take them both at the same time. Apparently, you're right up there with Archie Andrews. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Or Reggie, more accurately. Oh, yeah, exactly. I, I have no idea how those women would even subject themselves to that sort of horrible treatment from those guys. But anyway, you know what? No, here's what I'm going to do. Midge. Midge? Oh, you can't go midge. If you go midge, then you've got the big lunkhead who's going to come and beat you up. Then you got moose. Yes. You got to worry about moose. Moose. 
run the rest of the road warriors into a ditch of envy with your miracle travel mug of traveling or make the kid who takes your coffee order swoon with lust over your sporty G&B fall jacket. Visit geeksandbeats.com slash swag and open your wallet today. Time now for a Geeks and Beats update. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. Time for an update on the miracle travel mug of traveling. Up until this week, it was doing more traveling than me. I know. Victor Biggio has uh, headed south to Big Sur for the weekend, and so he's uh, snapped a photo. And if you go to uh, Twitter, you can uh, punch in the hashtag GNBMugTour2014. Uh, Andrew Stokely uh, <laughs> tweeted, look, twinsies. What? He got two of them. Really? Yeah. Wow. And Kevin Button uh, says his traveling mug is doing its first tour of duty at the Bin Brook Fair in Hamilton, Ontario. Are we selling any of these things? We're selling a lot of these mugs. Are, are we really? We are. Great. I mean, again, here's my plug. This mug is the best insulated travel mug that I have ever used in my entire life. And I'm not saying that to sell more. I'm saying that it is a great mug. Darcy has tweeted uh, one uh, from uh, the... Uh, Doc's over in Halifax. He's his first road trip with his new Miracle Travel Mug of Traveling. And uh, he's uh, tagged the hashtag uh, GNB Mug Tour 2014 uh, as well. So it seems that we, we've created this little thing, or, or more accurately, one of our longtime listeners, Victor Biggio, has started a thing with other people getting in on the act. Well, this is very cool. Um, let's see how far we can take this. People, order your mugs now and take them wherever you go. Take a picture and we will make you famous. We uh, were uh, talking last week with Brad from Omimi. He called 323-319-NER to ask you what your favorite mood-changing song was, and you said it was the Who's Won't Get Fooled Again. Correct. Which, by the way, when I played that back, um, the line is, don't get fooled again. Yeah, I know. What is that all about? I, Roger Daltrey taking artistic license and maybe sticking something in Pete's eye. I don't know. So we got a uh, response uh, from longtime GNB listener and longtime crush of yours truly, uh, Shannon Simpson, uh, saying that her favorite uh, song to get her mood turned around and that frown upside down is The Cure's uh, Just Like Heaven. Yeah, okay, good one, sure. Show me, show me, show me. points out, isn't all music mood-altering as per the ethos of a piece? Well, he's right, but there are certain songs that will give you that extra, you know, boost over the top. I mean, um, I want to talk about something involving the NFL in just a second, but there, there are songs that will uh, enhance your mood one way or the other more than others. I mean, why do you think athletes wear headphones and listen to music to get psyched up before an event or a game? Well, let's get right into that, because uh, if you are an NFL player and you're wearing those beats by Dr. Dre, you better take them off the moment you see a camera. Yeah, that's right. Uh, week five of the NFL was different in the sense that uh, Beats headphones have officially been banned from any sort of camera shots uh, during telecasts. Now, Beats owns 61% of the U.S. marketplace for headphones that sell over $100. 
So they have a huge presence. This is why partly Apple spent $3.2 billion to acquire the company. The headphones are absolutely huge. And while they do engage in traditional advertising on television and magazines, online and wherever else, they are very, very good at guerrilla advertising. Now, let's think back to the 2012 Olympics in London. Think to some of the camera shots you saw of athletes, swimmers, for example, who were getting ready for their events, listening to music, getting themselves all psyched up and hyped up. And chances are you saw them wearing Beats headphones. Now, isn't that because Beats basically carpet bombed the athlete world with free headphones? That's exactly what they did, knowing full well that these athletes would be photographed, would be shot wearing their headphones with the big B logo on, on the ear cups uh, before their events, thereby completely uh, circumventing any sort of IOC advertising fees and costs. And it was a brilliant move, a brilliant guerrilla marketing move. All they had to do was give away a whole bunch of headphones, and the margin on these headphones is huge, so it cost them relatively nothing. Then they did the same thing with the World Cup, with FIFA, FIFA charges tremendous amount of, uh, of uh, money for, uh, for advertising, and they had a global sponsor in Sony. Beats didn't want to pay that kind of money, so they simply gave a lot of these footballers free Beats headphones. And then after a little while, uh, FIFA said, whoa, 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 you can't be doing this. So just like uh, they decided that they were going to ban anybody from wearing Beats headphones on, on the sidelines and because Sony complained. I think there was a similar situation with the Premier League in the UK. Um, again, there was a sponsorship complaint, uh, Samsung or whoever, and uh, they, were getting, they were seeing too many shots of, of footballers on the sidelines wearing these Beats headphones. And now the NFL, the world's most successful professional sports league, has said, look it. We are not attaching our brand to anything for free. No more Beats headphones on the, on the sidelines. No more Beats headphones uh, when you're being interviewed. So uh, that's, that's what's the difference in, in week five of the NFL of the 2014 season. And there's a massive amount of money that flows into the National Football League as a result of these sponsorships because they're really more than, than advertisers when it comes down to it. According to NPR, more than a billion dollars a year is spent amongst all of the sponsors to wrap their brands in the NFL flag, as it were. For example, um, over at Verizon, the, the wireless company, apparently they spent a quarter billion dollars themselves just trying to get people to buy or get a, a phone from them through watching the TV and their favorite game. Yeah, I know. And 9to5Mac.com reports that um, the NFL clamping down on this issue uh, is not anything new, saying, quote, these policies date back to the early 1990s and continue today. This is the NFL writing in response, pointing out as well that uh, the enforcement is an NFL policy, not that of Bose specifically, and that Bose is not actually involved in the enforcement of the policy or any other advertiser or sponsor. So you can't really come down against Bose on this. They were just the ones who were willing to open up their wallets, pony up the cash, and to get their headphones uh, on uh, air. The thing is, is why not just do the same thing that uh, Beats has been doing and just flood the market with free headphones for anyone who's willing to wear them? As you have pointed out in the past, Beats headphones are crap. Yeah. 
but they are a brand that everybody wants to be associated with. Now, this this is is not anything new. I think it was oh, what was the Chicago quarterback Jim McMahon, and he insisted on wearing I think an Adidas headband. The NBA has several issues because there, if your team is sponsored by you know Puma or Nike or Adidas or whatever for shoes, and you choose to wear a different set of shoes, you can get into trouble. So this this idea of, of brands being associated with various uh, sporting events, I mean, there's money involved, and nobody should be able to to ride for free, and that's exactly what's happening with the NFL. It's it's not uh, any of the other. It's you're right. It's not Bose that's complaining about it. It's like the NFL crack, cracking down on people taking a free ride on their product. And there's a good reason why this is a huge battlefield right now in the gadget world. A new report from Nielsen says 93% of Americans spend more than 25 hours a week listening to music and that gadgets are a critical component to helping sell that music. One out of every three Americans consume music through some kind of streaming service, half of them of their personal music library, and then 59% are a combination of both AM, FM, radio, as well as streaming. But on the gadget side, seven out of every 10 Americans now own a smartphone and for canada that's two out of every three and about half of them or so purchase music using those devices the british phonographic institute has made note in an official report that hey you know what music helps sell gadgets so uh should we be maybe thinking about a tax on these gadgets because <laughs> Oh, yes. No, no. Would you like to have the tax man's office burned to the ground? Yeah, I know. I'm just saying this is the iPod tax that we've heard about in Canada. And watch for a growing push to tax gadgets because, well, if you're using music to sell your hardware, we, the music creators, should get a piece of that. Yeah, they already tried that, though. You want to sharpen the torches and light the pitchforks if they try to do something like that again. You're listening to Geeks and Beats on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Bell Media Radio Network. Cut the cord and go to geeksandbeats.com anytime. You'll get the latest episode and links to the stories the boys are talking about. Geeksandbeats.com. Also available on 8-track and cassette. So you're not in your usual studio. You are halfway across the country in Winnipeg. So explain to me what exactly it is you're doing there right now. One of the things I'm doing in Winnipeg is speaking on a panel about streaming music services. So we're going to talk about the future of music and free st- uh, future of streaming music. And uh, okay, I'm in my small town north of Winni- north of Winnipeg, and I took my wife out for breakfast, and we're sitting in this uh, you know country diner where all the food is very very bad for you. And there was a table of uh, middle aged people behind us, people in their fifties and sixties, and uh, the women at the table were just gushing about the fact that Spotify was now available in Canada. That'll tell you something about that, the brand recognition of that, of Spotify. Um, So, yeah, it arrived in Canada officially on the 30th, and there is an office in Toronto. 
um, which means that along with Songza and Ardio, we have people on the ground for the, the for the three biggest streaming music services. Are you still involved in Songza? Yes, I am, but I do most of my work via, well, I do all my work via Google, and the guy that I deal with is in, in Manhattan. And you're, so you're curating playlists for people to listen to on Songza. That's right. That's right. And that's kind of, uh, to a degree, what Spotify does as well. Am I right? Well, they have, they have curated lists, but then Spotify also has a lean forward experience, which means you can get there and, and create your own playlists and mess around with stuff. So <laughs> Lean forward? Yeah, no, it's called lean forward and lean back. Sp- uh, Songza is a lean back in the sense that you pick the playlist that fits your mood or your moment or your activity, and you just let the music wash over you. With audio, with um, Beats, with uh, iTunes Radio, with uh, Spotify, you can get in and create these special playlists and then share them in interesting ways. It's a, it's a, it's a different experience. It's a more hands-on experience than the lean-back ones. So, seriously, those are the terms we use in the in the industry. Not being in the industry, I understand you wouldn't understand this. No, no. But what I'm interested in, as as we're we're now shopping for a new car, is I don't want to buy a car that doesn't include Apple's CarPlay service, which is basically the little screen mimics what's on your smartphone. I know, I know. I have to. I'm shopping for a car too because my lease is up in May, and so I'll, I'll need a new car next spring. And I have a feeling that you and I are in exactly the same position in the sense that we're probably about a year away right. from full smartphone infotainment system integration. So we're going to be trapped with cars that are in the transition period. So we're not going to get CarPlay. We're not going to get the icons on the, on the dashboard that we want. And, and we're just going to have to deal with that for like four years or whatever. Virtually every major manufacturer has agreed to sign up for the Apple CarPlay system for uh, new cars in the 2014 model year. It's very limited, but it will be more of a a 2015 kind of experience. I'm on Apple's uh, website right now, apple.com slash iOS slash CarPlay, to get a sense of this. The neat thing is, is in addition to music, it uh, has your messages, your maps service on it as well. And it, again, makes your screen, the little dashboard screen, look a lot like an iPhone itself. Uh, As it stands now, you've got Audi, BMW, Chevy, Dodge, Chrysler, Fiat, Ford, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Kia, Land Rover, Mazda, Mercedes-Benz, Mitsubishi, Nissan, uh, Peugeot, Ram, Subaru, Suzuki, Toyota, Volvo, and a few others as well. Mm -hmm. So basically, every major manufacturer is represented in this. But if you walk into a dealership today, you're going to be that guy who bought a gadget at the wrong time. Yeah, and I don't think there's any way around it. I mean, I'm, okay, I'll I'll be honest. I'm looking at a a Jaguar for for my next vehicle. Really? You're leaving the Porsche world? No, I'm shopping. I'm shopping. Oh, okay, so you're exploring. I'm exploring, and and I, it's not quite there. Well, it'll come to those high-end vehicles long before it comes to my Honda Civic. Well, I don't know about that. My buddy bought a, a brand-new Honda Accord, and his, his Accord does an awful lot more than my car. So it's it's very, very close to being what we want it to be, but it's still about a year or 18 months off. Now, uh, later this month, uh, there is the Dash Conference, mm-hmm. the second annual Dash Conference in, in Detroit, which is a meeting of broadcasters, um, vehicle manufacturers, and third-party equipment suppliers. And the idea is, is for all these people who have common interests 
when it comes to listening to music or engaging in any kind of entertainment or information in the car to come together to create standards, to create a direction, to create some kind of dialogue so all this stuff works. And I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go this year, but uh, last year was absolutely fascinating especially on the broadcaster side, because a lot of people said, ah, people will they'll get tired of all these gadgets and they'll just come back to AM and FM radio. <laughs> Meanwhile, he talked to some wow. of the manufacturers. Oh, I know. I mean, I was sitting at the table with this woman. Are you kidding me? Please get your head out of the sand. I know. And I was talking to this other woman, uh, this, this other guy who was saying, look, this is the way for auto, automobile manufacturers to go because from start, from, from concept to market, it takes about seven years for a car. Seven years to get from a doodles on a page to in the dealer showrooms. Mm -hmm. Technology is iterating every six months at most. And there is no way that an automobile manufacturer can keep up with these technology, technological iterations. So they can't keep uh, proprietary control over what they have in their dashboards. They're going to have to farm it out. I mean, the days of the Delco radio in the, in the Chevys, which was owned by uh, General Motors, or the uh, Philco radios in Fords. I mean, would, you would have these manufacturers would have their own, uh, you know, radio and and CD player and cassette division. Well, not anymore because that's all that mechanical crap. What you want is the the actual. You know, the, the, the nice big displays and touch screens and the integrations and the Wi-Fi, all that sort of stuff. And it's not only just, just being able to integrate with your smartphone, but, you know, we're, we're starting to get deeper into this self-driving car thing, which freaks me out. But if you're going to have uh, autonomous cars, you need a Wi-Fi connection so your car can speak to other cars on the road and to beacons along the highway. Well, I've done a lot of research, particularly on car-to-car -car communications, because when I was uh, reporting for the Business News Network and CTV at the Consumer Electronics Show uh, last year, um, we sat in a few vehicles that do this kind of stuff. And one of the biggest issues that they needed to overcome, and this is the reason why in 2015 we're going to start seeing more of this autonomous technology uh, made available, is they needed to come up with a secure way for vehicles to talk to each other so that they couldn't be hacked. And the idea, of course, is that if the car three, four, or four cars in front of you puts the brakes on, uh, you want all the other vehicles to know about it as well so that there is a smooth transition to a slower speed. If you've got a hacker who has the ability to hack in and slam on the brakes on a car and jam the transmission warning to all the other vehicles, that's a problem. So the big deal that the auto industry boasted to me about was that they were using the same technology that Amazon.com uses for secure transactions, which is SSL, Secured uh, Socket Layer Certificates, which we just recently learned is quite easily spoofable. <laughs> yes, it is, as a matter of fact. Hello, Jennifer Lawrence. Well, that's a bit of a different situation. Somebody just guessed Jennifer Lawrence's password. Right, right, right. Yeah, but, but SSL is, is, is not as secure as, as we thought it was. Uh, and just wait until the Russian hackers get their hands on quantum computers. We're all screwed then. In a sort of vaguely related note, have you been following at all what's been going on in Hong Kong? Yes. Uh, when I go to Hong Kong, sorry to drop these uh, references, but when I go to Hong Kong, I stay in a hotel that would overlook uh, the area where all the protesters are. Well, the protesters um, have had a lot of Internet services shut down on them, like Twitter and Facebook for organizing. So they're using something called Fire Chat. Yeah, I have this on my phone. Which doesn't need an Internet connection. No, it, you just actually, here it is, Fire Chat. And just let me just fire it up. 
Yeah. And it uses Bluetooth uh, as a mesh network. In other words, it hops from person to person and you've got to be about 300 feet away. And of course, in a massive protest, you've got so many people using this. 200,000 downloads in Hong Kong alone in 48 hours has allowed uh, the uh, protesters to circumnavigate uh, China's crackdown on social media to be able to pull this off. It's fascinating. Chat with anyone nearby, no internet connection necessary. Use it on the train or on the subway. Discuss the game. Broadcast your best pictures during concerts or festivals. Take it to the beach or camping. Invite your friends. The nearby mode works up to 200 feet. Create your own fire chats. So it's, it's really kind of neat. Yeah, just so long as you're not using it to browse websites like Bruce Springsteen. You can't start a fire without a spark. Yeah, okay, so here's, you uh, You got to be really careful with some of the celebrity sites that you go to because... According to McAfee, uh, they're not all, of course, on the on the level, and you could get malware installed, and what, Bruce Springsteen is, is one of the guys? I, th- I thought that the big dangerous uh, celebrity online uh, was, of all people, Justin Bieber. Well, it's it's people who put up their own websites. It's not necessarily the, the celebrities. It's not the celebrities' official site. Right. It's it's the tribute sites that other people put up. And if they're not using the proper code with their sites, uh, or if somebody wants to set up, if, if somebody wants to fish for for, for dumb users with uh, no antivirus, it's an easy way to inject some malware, especially if you're using you know some Java or Flash or whatever it is. And yeah, I can see there being a problem. There was a problem once. When back in the old GeoCities days, when fans used to set up their own websites and uh, hackers would come along and inject some malicious code into a banner or, or something like that, and all you had to do was, was run your mouse over it, and all of a sudden, boom, you're infected. So this is, uh, this is the same sort of thing, only maybe a little bit more sophisticated. On the topic of sophistication, you have to be careful if you go to the website for the musician Kesha, because you can catch a virus. It's got nothing to do with malware, though. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.